Chapter twenty five of the Ocean of Air Meteorology for Beginners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Ocean of Air Meteorology for Beginners by Agnes G. Byrne. Chapter twenty five Eddies of Air weather foretellings have been popular in all ages how popular is this fitful climate of ours is curious when one sees how often they fail some signs of rain and fine believed in from time immemorial have foundation in truth unless fairly often found correct they would hardly have obtained such a hold upon people's minds excessive damp on walls springing from excessive moisture in the air is a most natural token of coming rain the red sky and the rainbow of early morning are about equally the shepherd's warning halos and mock suns belonging to the van of a cyclone are pretty sure indexes of what may be expected a hollow luminous circle round the moon may not mean rain the next day inevitably but within two or three days it is an almost certainty the old moon in the arms of the new and the clearness of distant hills both arising from the transparency of the air are marked signs of rain not far distant about three mornings of white frost are held to be equally infallible also birds and flowers have a voice in the matter swallows fly low before rain because insects do the same and many sensitive blossoms close their petals in anticipation of a coming downpour the little red shepherd's glass is famous for its true predictions and a certain pink starry misambryanthem has shown itself almost equal to a barometer in quick understanding of the atmosphere signs of fine weather popularly held are not fewer in number the opposite characteristics of dry surfaces of a hazy horizon of a crimson sunset of opening flower petals promise fairness the flying far of rocks and seabirds and the flying high of swallows are counted especially hopeful a white moon promises well and so do gossamer webs floating in abundance the difficulty of reading truly all such signs as well as the barometer itself consists in the fact that the same tokens do not precede all kinds of wet weather before the rain of an ordinary cyclone the barometer falls but before another kind of air eddy which brings rain the barometer rises besides these uncertainties one never knows how long an eddy may last at any time a cyclone may die out and vanish a storm may be publicly foretold as travelling to england signals may be hoisted and precautions taken and after all it may never appear it has either altered its course going off in a new direction or it has quietly broken up and dispersed the foretellings were correct so far as they went but the new freak of the wild air could not be reckoned on now and then a storm strikes our shores no warning of which has been received this may well happen for cyclones travel fast 
people often wonder why swift steamers do not come on from mid-ocean in advance of the storm to tell us of its approach but the cyclone which should only keep pace with a steamer would be a slow specimen of its kind there is of course the telegraph if a cyclone starts from america instead of taking shape in mid-ocean notice can be flashed under the ocean and a cyclone cannot compete with electricity this is how we often do here beforehand but even an electric message occupies time time is consumed in sending it in receiving it in transcribing it in dispatching it to the central office time there is occupied in examining a great number of telegrams in comparing notes in charting the information received in sending word to british seaside stations and all this while the big eddy of air is travelling rapidly nearer the very most that can be done generally is to foretell a cyclone not to say whether it will be mild or severe various well-known signs belong to the front part of a cyclone such as a watery sun and a pallid moon high hills and mountains show cloud caps animals are restless neuralgic and rheumatic patients suffer more than usual old soldiers are reminded afresh of their wounds corns become troublesome and irritable tempers are apt to be upset the weather is dull and oppressive muggy and cloudy and more or less warm rain falls when the barometer continues to sink near the centre something of a calm commonly exists surrounded by the revolving winds patches of rain alternating with patches of blue sky lie within a circle of clouds when about half the cyclone has drifted by and the trough or the line across the lowest depression is passed a change takes place the barometer begins to rise the sky becomes clearer with woolpack clouds the air is more sharp and cold and the rain if any falls is colder than before a cyclone has been described as an extremely complicated vortex something analogous to an eddy of water but differing from an eddy of water in that the latter sucks down while the air vortex draws upward it has also been spoken of as a huge irregular funnel of rotating air the winds whether slight or strong always revolving round an axis of comparative calm spirally like a corkscrew inward and upward whether the vortex of rotating air ever reaches the upper limits of the air ocean or whether it's always confined to lower regions seems uncertain much obscurity still exists with reference to its nature as the cyclone drifts over a certain place frequent changes of wind occur it cannot be otherwise since in no two parts of a cyclone do the winds blow from the same quarter each cyclone has two distinct motions not unlike those of earth as the solid body of the earth revolves upon her axis so the winds of a cyclone revolve round its axis as the whole earth journeys through space so the whole cyclone travels across earth's surface in our part of the world cyclones more commonly journey from the southwest to the northeast now and then one arrives from the neighborhood of norway but by far the greater number come to us from the atlantic and from america 
the direction taken by a journeying cyclone is affected by the daily whirl of earth much as the direction of trade winds is affected by it a cyclone travelling from the north comes to us from the northeast while one travelling from the south comes to us from the southwest air circulation within a cyclone is always according to rule the winds of a northern hemisphere cyclone rotate round the axis in a direction contrary to the hands of a watch while the winds of a southern hemisphere cyclone rotate with the watch hands if you lay a watch upon a map face upwards you will at once see the way of the winds in a cyclone on any part of the world these rules are reversed in the case of an anti-cyclone here again we have an eddy or vortex of winds rotating round an axis though the rotation is sometimes so languid as to be imperceptible but the direction of the winds is exactly the other way from that of cyclone winds being with the watch hands in the northern hemisphere and contrary to the watch hands in the southern hemisphere moreover the spiral movement or the suck of an anticyclone is downward like a water eddy instead of upward like a cyclone this results in a piling up of the air which helps to cause a high barometer one of the signs of an anticyclone anticyclones mean generally fine weather cold in winter hot in summer with hazy distances and little wind and commonly with sunshine on the continent a warm anticyclone with a cloudy sky is sometimes seen the leading feature of an anticyclone is calm with what is called radiation weather there is little cloud or floating moisture to check the quick pouring out of heat from the ground after sundown so in an anticyclone we have dew or hoarfrost in large towns this particular eddy often brings dense fogs persistent anticyclones are found both in the far north and in the tropics as on the icy plains of siberia and on the burning deserts of africa often continuing for months unchanged probably an explanation is to be found for the main distinction between the two eddies as bringers of rain and bringers of fair weather in their opposite modes of air currents when air rises from below to above as over the equator it commonly has a squeeze from the cold above and sends down rain when air sinks from higher to lower levels it can not only hold all the moisture it held above but it can take in more so the rising air of a cyclone would naturally cause wet weather and the sinking air of an anticyclone would suck up floating mists clear the sky and as a general rule cause sunshine there are rains which cannot be foretold by weather curves on a map the rains for instance of the indian monsoon of sea squalls of thunderstorms of tornadoes and whirlwinds simple squalls come at sea in sharp gusts more or less violent lasting generally only a few minutes two or three such squalls may be seen at once careening over the ocean ruffling its surface about the most simple kind of thunderstorm known 
is such a squall accompanied by lightning and a clap or two of thunder these squalls are merely little local efforts to restore the balance of the atmosphere thunder squalls are more common in winter than summer while heavy thunderstorms are more common in summer than winter the cyclones which visit the british isles are tame compared with what other countries endure still from time to time we have a sufficiently sharp experience to learn something about the power of a mighty wind perhaps one of the most fearful ever known to visit our shores was the great storm of november seventeen o three one year after queen anne came to the throne france germany and other countries suffered from it and over a great part of england the damage done was excessive in kent alone eight hundred private homes were wrecked and seventeen thousand trees were blown down scores of churches had their leaden roofs torn off sheep and cattle in countless numbers died and many human lives were lost the bishop of bath and wells and his wife were both killed in bed by the falling chimneys of the episcopal palace ely cathedral suffered cruelly of brighton defoe wrote brighthelmstone was most miserably torn in pieces it made the very picture of desolation and looked as if it had been sacked by an enemy in the thames no less than five hundred wherries sank and the whole mass of vessels four only of which escaped were torn from their moorings by the violence of the wind twelve men of war large and small foundered in different places and the wrecked remains of countless merchantmen strewed our coasts the first eddystone lighthouse was carried completely away leaving a bare reef and of the men within it including the overconfident architect not a trace could be afterwards found such scenes as these are happily rare in england and the winds even in their more furious moods have often fought on our behalf against foreign foes no true englishman can fail to be thankful for the mighty gales of fifteen fifty eight which scattered the invincible armada swept the spanish galleons to the far north and drove a terrible peril from our shores of one hundred and fifty vessels which left spain in disdainful pride promising triumph to themselves only fifty-six broken ships crept back into port a flavid deus et dissipantur the force of rushing air was direfully shown a few years ago in the tay bridge disaster a terrific gale was blowing when the edinburgh train quitting the fife side passed on the long narrow railway bridge which led across to dundee from one hundred and fifty to two hundred passengers were in the train stormy night though it was no one thought of real danger a few minutes quick passage and they would reach the other side the great brick piers and iron girders were counted strong enough to stand any ordinary strain but men had as often miscalculated and no doubt the strain was more than ordinary the train passed onward upon its slender pathway and the passengers within could look down on either side straight into the wind-tossed moonlit water word was flashed along the wires to the dundee station that the train was on its way thither those at dundee waited 
and watched expectantly mindful of a furious storm in the moonlit darkness of a december evening they could see the train passing swiftly along the rails then suddenly a crash of sound could be heard above the howling of the gale and a bright flash of fire was seen near the bridge's centre after that a pause the telegraph wires refused to act and the train could not be seen its arrival was awaited in vain madly as the wind hurled itself against aught in its path two men made their way along the exposed bridge only to find a mighty gap in the structure so far as they could see two or three of the biggest spans were swept away and with them was gone the whole train carrying down its entire freight of human beings not one survived that awful plunge to tell the tale end of chapter twenty five recording by john brandon